right, so uh, with the youth, we've tried to do a lot of different things throughout the years, try to um, reach out to as many teens as possible. We have this um, prayer list that we've put together, and um, we only pass it around with the, with the leadership of the church. The reason why we do that is because of certain things with, um, with uh, you're on over there. Um, certain things with, um, you know, kids' names being out there, and so we try to make sure that those get, you know, or or secret, not secret, but you know, um, yeah, privacy. And so, but we have this list, and on this list, we put all the teens that we know in town, and we put them at different sections, whether they be um, a part of our youth leadership or don't attend the church at all. And so we put this on a scale, and usually teens from 6th grade to 12th grade, there's about 75 in town. That's kind of the average amount. And uh, years ago, uh, this is about 2011, 2012, uh, we were reaching 80% of our teens in town. That means that on on an average week, we would have 80% of the teens um, coming through. Um, And so... But our goal is every teen in the in the town hears the gospel. That is our goal. So 100% hear the gospel through this ministry. And we even put little asterisks. Okay, they they attend the First Baptist or the Southern Baptist or wherever they attend that we know. Okay, but we want every teen in town to hear the gospel. And so, but that 20% has always been elusive. There's always that that percentage that will not come to an event or to a youth group or to anything that we hold. And so we started throwing around ideas. Okay, what would be a way we could do this? What is something we could do? And so we tried a bunch of things, but we tried this one thing, and we've never done it again. One of the teens said, how about we go to Disneyland? And so I said, okay, but <laughs> we just can't go to Disneyland, right? Just the, the point is not to just go to Disneyland. The point is the gospel. Okay, so we talked about it, and um, on my end, being the, the leader, the spiritual leader, is, okay, this is what we need in order to make this thing a success, right? Is that, yeah, okay, the destination might be Disneyland, but... What are we going to do with it? Right? So we had, uh, we were going to do two uh, worship times with the gospel be- being presented in both. Um, we were going to do it as the, the teens have to, this is 100% teen done. So they have to come up with all the money themselves. The church isn't going to pay for one dime of this. Um, and so this is what's going to be. But then on top of that, we said, okay, for every teen that brings a friend, that friend will go for free. Okay? And then the teen can get a half-off ticket. So it's an encouragement of, hey, bring your friend, right? The reason why we don't, we've never done this again is because that didn't work. The only new people that came were the ones that Marika and I invited. And we didn't get a half-off ticket. And so it was a failure in the sense of what it was supposed to accomplish. So 
one of the things that we've always done is if it does not accomplish what it sets out to do, we throw it away. We don't do it. But on the day of the event, there was something even worse that happened. It failed as an event, but we're getting ready and everything and getting packed up and I get a call from two of our teenagers that had graduated and moved over to Phoenix to go to college. I had invited them because they used to do music with me to lead the, the music for the teens as we do these sessions. And I get a call from one of them. It says, we're not going to be able to make it. We just had a car accident. And what had happened, about 40 miles outside of town, they had blown a tire and it flipped the car and they rolled, but everyone was fine and the, there was just scratches, which was a miracle unto itself. And so I started thinking, okay, what do we need to do? I was going to send ahead the group, and then um, I was going to stay behind and, and take care of things and then catch up. And so, but he, said, he called me back and he said, no, no worries. Um, my mom's coming out. We're, we're fine. We'll just, you know, we'll deal with it, but we won't be able to go. And so, okay. Um, and that instant, that moment in time, the, the two teens were named Josh and Gabe. You might know Gabe. He was the one that did the drums for a while in the summertime, and he's also the one that you would hate if you own property in town because he was the local inspector um, for a time, and so he would come by your place and say, sorry, you're out of compliance, you know. Um, and so um, I always told him that was the worst job because no one's going to like you. Uh, they barely do now, and so that's just going to be bad. Um, but, yeah, he's just like, oh, I, I'm getting hated anyway. So, um, But I love those guys. They're great. In fact, um, we'll be doing Gabe's wedding pretty soon in April. He had the brilliant idea of having it the day before Easter. And so, I t oh, so yeah, <laughs> just smack that guy. Anyways, um, but so a few years later, I had Josh in the van. He had come out to visit. And we were driving around picking up teens on Friday night for rec night. And so we're driving around. Um, I don't know how many of you know the way to Rainbow Acres. And so you get off the main road and you start going on um, the road. Is that Choya? Yeah. Um, and you start going up. And then at the time, everything was 25 there in that little section. And you go up and there's a curve and you come down. There's a wash and then there's another curve. And you come around, there's a curve and then there's another curve. And eventually you, you go straight. So I, I was taking these at 35. Okay? Now it is 35. So I feel justified in this. Um, even though right then it was not. Uh, so I was taking these at 35, and we take the first one, and then all of a sudden, as we come around the second one, Josh grabs onto the handle and hits the dashboard, and he just goes, slow down. And I didn't realize that the, the moment where he got into that wreck years before was still holding on to him, that going too fast was too much. And so I slowed down the 25, we took the rest of the curbs, and... Um, we started talking about the issue that he was having. It was just kept saying, you know, that wreck really messed me up. Um, and so he was real hesitant on driving or going anywhere. And I've been thinking about it for years, and, you know, the, the pastor, got to make everything spiritual. Um, and I was thinking, you know, the wreck really wrecked him, you know. 
It really wrecked him up until this day. He's still kind of, you know, hesitant on driving. I actually drove with him this past week. I was in Phoenix, and I, I went out to lunch with him. And I said, um, so we're driving, and I'm, I'm really cognizant of don't be a bad driver. You know, so turn on my signal. Very easy going into because I didn't want him to freak out. You know, I would have done that. But not in the, you know, if we were out here, I would have messed with them a little bit. But um, but I started thinking about this, and as I've been reading through the scriptures this past uh, several months, um, we did the, the Revelation th- uh, 1 through 5, and then we've done several other things. And one thing keeps being brought up, and when I, um, when I talked with Josh this week, this just came back to me. This idea of being a wreck will really wreck you, right? And so this next several weeks, uh, for five weeks, we're going to be talking about getting wrecked by God. Um, And the reason why is because it's so easy for us to just think, okay, God, we get to have this kind of mutual relationship here. Um, So today we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, but we're going to be bouncing around the scriptures a little bit. But we can easily get into this idea that God, I, am, I get to have certain things in my life, and then you get to have certain things in my life. You know, God, if I, I'll let you have my cussing as long as I get to gossip. You know, God, you can have my lust as long as I can continue in my, my addictions. You know, God, you can have this, but I get this type of... And it's really easy to fall into the trap without even realizing it. It becomes an unspoken thing. Well, God, why would you call me to do that? That's, that's too hard to do, right? God, no, I don't, you don't need that. You don't need my lust, Lord. I got, you know, isn't my, my money more important? You know, I give the money, right, God, so you can let me slide on some of this. I've had people tell me that, look, God does his thing, I can do my thing. You know, and this is an attitude that we can easily fall into. And so we're going to look at several people's lives within the scriptures and see how God wrecks them um, to get them to where they're supposed to be. And the first one we're going to look at is really the one that kind of um, catapulted this whole series is Paul. Paul is probably the prime example of someone getting wrecked and being wrecked for God for the rest of his life. And so we're going to look at Acts 9. And then we're going to be looking at some of what he's written through the inspiration of the Spirit, throughout the New Testament. Okay, you ready? Ready to get wrecked? That is not very joyous. <laughs> There's no amens there. All right, so Acts chapter 9, sorry, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. 
The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So this is a famous passage of a calling of someone's life. But in this, we've got to really understand what's going on. So you have the beginning of Acts, and you have the, in Luke, you have, uh, which is the companion piece to Acts, you have the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then you get to Acts, and this is the, Jesus is with the disciples for a time, but then he leaves, and he sends the Holy Spirit upon the people. And now you have the church fully established in the power of the Holy Spirit, start preaching the gospel to everyone. Um, and you have the first thing, 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And the first few chapters of Acts are very jubilant and very, this is going to happen, there's nothing that can stop us type of um, situations. But then as you start reading, you start seeing that there are imprisonments, there are floggings, and even in these um, persecutions, you still have the mighty power of God on display. And you see this, and then you get to this point where you get to Stephen. And Stephen comes along, and this is the real first kind of, if you want to call it a bump in the road. You have Stephen, who's the first deacon, or one of the first deacons of the church, killed. He's martyred. And the implication here is that Paul agrees with this. That he is there, that he is saying, yes, this guy needs to be killed. Why? Because Stephen, in Paul's understanding, is blaspheming God. And so the, the, the way you handle blasphemers, you take a stone and you kill them. You get rid of them. And so Paul is very um, thinking that he is doing the right thing. That he is doing what is prescribed. And so he gets some papers and he says, I want to go to Damascus and I want to find every single Christian there is. I want to bring them in. And, you know, it's not, it's, you know, when we think of officers bringing people in, most of the time it's you get handcuffed, you get thrown into the car, and you go to the jail, right? And if you've ever gone through the process of being handcuffed, thrown in the car, and going to jail, it's not fun. Nope. But it's not they're not going to usually, you know, they're not going to beat you. Okay? You're going to go in, you're going to go into jail, you're going to get a lawyer, you're going to go before a judge, and you're going to, now we're going to work things out, whether you get bail or whatever. But here, when they're bringing them into the prison, this is, this is not a fun thing. This is shackles, this is beatings, this is floggings. This is, you're going to not have a fun day. And so this is what he wants to do. And then we get the road to Damascus. Literally, God knocks him on his rear end. Knocks him off his donkey. And he says, why are you persecuting me? Now, the interaction here is really interesting because he goes, who are you, Lord? That says a lot to who Paul is following. Paul has been a, a good Pharisee. He's been a good reader of the Bible. He has followed his whole life. Later on, he says he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the epitome of what it means to be a Jewish believer, a Jewish follower of the, the law. 
And yet, when Jesus speaks, he cannot tell who God is. Who are you, Lord? Who are you? There's no relationship here. Who are you? And this is where Jesus says, I'm Jesus. The one whom you are persecuting. Which means that any time persecution comes against a church, it comes against Jesus. This makes a lot of sense when Paul talks about the church being the body of Christ. Because why? Not just that we have different appendages and things like that, but we, we are His. Anything that happens to us happens to Him. You know, and so there's this close relationship. But it's just this really interesting thing. And then He goes to open His eyes, and what happens? He can't see. He's blind. Think about that in the moment. You have been doing your best to do whatever you're supposed to be doing, and yet now there is someone that you don't know that is more powerful than you could ever imagine, just knocked you on your tail end, and now you are blind. Do you think that could wreck you? That will do something to you. And I want to go through some of Paul's writings just to see how much it wrecked him. Because this encounter was not just a, hey, Paul, knock it off. This was a complete life change. And so the first one we're going to go to is Romans 7. Romans 7, 21. So I find this law at work. Although I, was, I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I just want to stop right there real fast. This is a completely different Paul. Before it was Saul, now it's Paul. This is a completely different person. Because before Christ, he wasn't wretched. Before Christ, he was the follower of the law. He was the guy. There was nothing wretched about him. He did it. He was doing exactly what he thought God wanted. There's no wretchedness here. After Christ, there's wretchedness. He realized the wretchedness that he really was. That he was persecuting the church. Persecuting Christ. And so what does he say to this? He's having this, this struggle. And he says, verse 25, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul recognizes his wretchedness and the only place he can turn, the only place that can fix this, is Christ. There's only one thing. He didn't say, thanks be, I just read a little bit more. Thanks be, I just attended a little more synagogue. No, thanks be, I just got my sandals washed. No, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. That's it. That's all. Well, there's not just that. First Timothy 1.15, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let's stop just with that. He's saying this is a, a, a saying and you need to embrace it. Church, embrace this saying. 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Embrace that. And then he adds something there. He says, of whom I am the worst. Side note, I'm the worst sinner that Christ saved. Completely different mindset than before. It's no longer, I'm a sinner, I'm just a wretch. No, I'm the worst of sinners. And Christ came to save us. Christ came to save the sinners. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, 1 Corinthians reads, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now he's saying, there's this title I have and I'm not worthy of that title. Even though he takes Peter to task at one point, he still, he says, I am, I'm not even worthy of this. I'm the least of these guys. And if you been here when we talk about Peter, you know that Peter's pretty bad. These guys aren't perfect people. They're just like you and me. They mess up constantly. And here's Paul saying, I'm the least of these guys. And then in Ephesians, Ephesians 3.8, Paul writes this, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, Think about what that means. Although I'm less than the least. You know what that means? I'm on the bottom rung. I'm, this is how I, this is, this is Jeremiah's interpretation. I'm the, the mud on the boots of God's people. I'm the least of the least. He says, although I am the, le- the less Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. This is all about who Christ is and who Paul is. And Christ is great and Paul is nothing. This is the wrecking that that Christ did to Paul. That Paul finally comes to this realization that I am wretched. I am nothing. I am the least. I am horrible. But Christ is everything. So he realizes finally that he falls the sh- of short from the glory of God. He comes to this realization. This is why Romans is such a big deal. Where he says, all he talks about all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. He's not saying, you all. He's saying, all of us. And he puts him included, and even through his writings he says, and I'm less than you. Why? Because he realized how great and glorious God is and how not he is. Because he got wrecked by God. He got his self-righteousness wrecked by God. He got his, look at this, I've read all this. He says, that gets wrecked. Look at everything I have, it gets wrecked. But it's only Christ. Christ saved. Christ did this. It's not Paul that did any of it. And the problem I have run into for years, I mean, it's been around, as you read history, it's been around, so it's not anything new. But it's this self-I worship that we do in the church. A lot of times we think, well, God, I'm good enough for you. That's why you love me. How many of you read John 
pretty common Bible passage, Bible verse that is taught. You know, so John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not be condemned, um, shall not perish in that version, but have eternal life. Okay. I've been told several times, put your name there. For God so loved Jeremiah that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him, that if you believe in Him, you shall not perish, but have eternal life. The problem with that, it becomes about me for God loved me so much now that's not untrue the idea is not untrue God did love us as individuals to die for us that's not an untrue idea but so easily it falls into well then I must be pretty good God loved me enough to die for me I mean that's pretty pretty good we just missed the rest of the passage and so I want to read the rest of the passage because it's really important to that line. So the following, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And so this idea, Jesus is saying, God loves the world so much that he sent the Son. Why? Because the world is condemned. It stands in condemnation. It's going to hell. You know, that is the reality. But God still loves the world to send the Son for salvation. And this is Paul's understanding of this. Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from, the God's, from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Who's it about? It's about God. We are just recipients of everything that God has done. And that wrecks our own self-righteousness. It wrecks us. Because, and this is something um, I hear, you know, I've shared this before, but there are books and books and books of self-help in Christian aisles. Why? Because it's easier to think I can do it than God can. A lot of the worship songs, um, both past and present, there's nothing that, um, this isn't a gener um, like a generational thing, but there are a lot of worship songs that focus on I. I mean, we, you know, and I don't think that's wrong, necessarily, but there's a lot of worship songs that focus on I. One that comes to mind, um, 
is a song called My Testimony. Right there in the title. Who's it about? Me. Yeah, it's my testimony. And then when you listen to the song, um, it's the first two verses are all about me. What I've experienced, what I have done. And then finally you get to God. But there are songs out there that you'll go the entire song and it's just about I. And when I is the subject of the song, it doesn't matter if you say anything else. I am the one being worshipped. Yeah, I am being put forth. And when we look at the scriptures, you know, we went through Revelation 4 and 5, right? Those songs were we ever mentioned. The results were mentioned, but we weren't. It was all about Christ. It was all about God. It was all about to Him be the glory for what He has done. And it's really easy to fall into this, this trapping of, I'm good enough for you, God. When the reality is, we're wretched. And when we start understanding that, right? When we start understanding the wretchedness of our sin, the love of God becomes understandable. Because without, without that, you know, it, it's just... We, we have this misconcept in our, in our society of what love is, right? Love is so weird in our society. You can fall in and out of it, right? You can have a hamburger and love it and then go home and not love it after it starts moving through your digestive system, <laughs> you know? We have, love is weird in our society because anything can be loved and it diminishes our understanding of God's love. But when we start understanding our wretchedness and the depth that we are away from God, the love of God really makes sense. Because I didn't do anything. You know, the worst times were when I was growing up was when I knew I did wrong and I knew I was going to get a whooping. And yet my dad said, usually my dad did the whooping um, but my mom said we still love you it's like really how could you right but that's the reality yeah well it was real tough but that's that's the reality is when we understand our wretchedness God how can you still love this and that's the trust that I love you so I died for you. Not because you, because you could give me anything, right? Um, Paul talks about how God is not some God up there that needs to be waited on by human hands. This comes from Acts 17. That he doesn't, you know, that we're somehow that we're making God okay. That we're like, lift, our, our worship is somehow making sure that he gets fed. That he gets, you know, what his needs. That, none of that. He needs nothing, and yet he wants. And that, that makes a huge thing. We've talked about needs and wants before. Needs are things you need. Wants are things you want, right? But if you don't meet your needs, your wants kind of don't matter, right? And yet God has no needs. He just wants. And what does he want? Relationship with his creation. That's even greater because he doesn't need a relationship with us. He desires it. We need the relationship. 
but he desires it. It's very different. And so what does Paul say that we need to do? So this comes from Romans 10, 9 through 13. And you probably have heard some of these. Well, really most of them if you've been in the church long enough. If we declare with, our, with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believed and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This idea of trust, of accepting of what he has done is all that we do in this relationship is God I accept it I accept that you're right I accept I'm, I'm a sinner I cannot bring anything to this relationship you did it all I accept that I confess it I say yes you are right this is where amen comes in right this is the amen I agree with you Lord you are correct. And the only way I can get out of this is be through your sacrifice, through Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. That's the only way I can do this. I bring nothing to the table. I don't do anything to earn it. I just accept it. And then, but it's not done there. It continues. So you have Romans 6 and Romans 12. And you can put this however you want. I'm going to go with Romans 12 first. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Think about that. How do I worship God? All my deeds, all my, my thoughts, all my words are His. God, they are yours. This is living worship. This is living sacrifice. It's, okay, God, I'm driving. You're in control. Keep my mouth the way it should be. Keep my mind on it. Don't let me flip that guy off. Don't let me cut that guy off. Don't, you know, let me follow you. It's at work or, at, you know, in the park or it's wherever God this is yours, what should I do? You saved me to do this, what do you want? This is my sacrifice to you. And it's the worship, right? It's not going to church and singing some songs or listening to a message. It is every moment of the day is a living sacrifice. It, and that's the worship. And then he goes on to say, and this kind of gives us a, an idea of what it means to, to worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You want to know what God's will is for your life? People ask me this all the time. Don't be conformed to the world. There, start there. That means shutting off the TV. That means not. That means pouring over the scriptures more than we pour over media. If if we have this situation where, um, and you can actually go onto your phone, and your phone really helps you with this. Um, they'll actually tell you how much time you spend on things, mm -hmm. like how much time you spend on Facebook, or how much time you spend on, 
you know, a certain app. And if that outweighs your time in the scriptures, you're conforming to the world. It's just as simple as that. Whatever we're putting into our minds, that is what we're conforming to. We need to go to the scriptures more. We need to encourage each other more. We need to get out of these, this worldly stuff. I'm not saying to detach yourself from the world. As Paul says, that's impossible. But we need to say, what am I being conformed to, Jesus? And say, take that stuff that's of the world away and keep me in you. And then, so we don't conform to that, but we transform by the renewing of your mind. And the easiest way to do that is get the word in your mind. I mean, that's, that's as easy as it comes. But then in Romans 6, Paul writes, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is sacrifice type of language. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been um, brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. This idea of it's not me who lives but Christ. And this this is actually from Galatians. But just this idea, okay Lord, use my hands to do what you want. Use my lips to say what you want. Use my mind to think what you want. Use my car, my RV, my side-by-side, my razor, whatever you want to say. Let me be used. Every instrument that you have given me, let it be used for your glory. And then this kind of, this is why I feel like sums up Paul's whole being wrecked. It comes from Galatians 2.20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. I no longer live. This isn't, this isn't the old mean keeping walking around. This is Christ doing what he wants in me. And he says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. All that has been crucified and I live in the power of Christ alone. How easy and hard is that? It's easy to understand. It's hard to say, Lord, let me be the living sacrifice. Because you know the problem with living sacrifice, they say? You can get off the altar. The dead thing just stays there. A living one wants to get off. Wants to go back to the sin. It wants to go back to bondage. And that's why it's God. Live in me. Do as you will. And so... Just this whole understanding of when we embrace this understanding, right? So we got that, yeah. When we embrace the truth that sin has made us wretched, we can now embrace the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to save us uh, and present us as holy to the Father. Like we can really embrace that now. Because it's not me. That is dead. That thing is dead. It's been crucified. It's gone. It's Christ now who lives. It's Christ in me that lives. But it's not me who's living. It's me who's the sacrifice. It's me that's saying, okay, God, whatever you want. And saying, keep me on the altar. 
Keep the sacrifice on the altar. Don't let me get down. Don't, don't let me be conformed. Lord, what do I need to do? Okay, some of the things that Jesus said, um, you can go through in the obey passages. If you love me, obey me. This comes from John. He says this over and over and over. If you love me, obey my commands. So if you ever get into a situation of God, I don't know what's going on. We'll actually talk about this in a couple weeks. I don't know what's going on. One thing you can do, open the Bible. I'm to love my neighbor. Okay, God, let's move. Let's, let me obey. I'm to worship you with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, God, let's do that. How can I do that, Lord? Show mercy. Okay, Lord, how can I show mercy? How can I do these things that you have called me to do? Do them in me. This is why one of my prayers is always, God, move by your Holy Spirit to do whatever. Lord, as we go out, let me show Christ to my brothers and sisters. Let me show Christ to the waiter at the, at the um, restaurant. Let me show Christ to my neighbor. You know, I, I see on Facebook a lot. I, I follow all these different courtside groups and, and all the things like their generator's too loud. Okay, what can, a, if that's a Christian, what can a Christian do to serve that person whose generator is too loud? Get a nice shot from a 22 right into the, no, I'm just, you know, right into that, no. But, yeah, I mean, what, like seriously, what could I do to that person that's annoying me? God, lead me in that direction. Speak to them so because I can't. Because if I go over there in my own wretchedness, if I go back to my vomit of my sin, I'm going to mar your your um your reputation in front of that person. So Lord, you have to do this because I can't. And it's it's constantly coming back. Christ, you live in me. You live here. Do with what you please. Whatever that sin is. So it's not, I get to do this, and Lord, you can have this. No, it's Lord, you get that, and you get that. Lord, you get my lust, and you get my, my swindling. You get my cussing. You get my addiction. You get my, my lust, and you get my fill in the blank. You get it all, Lord. Because you bought it all. I am bought, paid, delivered to you, Lord. So, Lord, let me do that. And so, my challenge for you this week is to do that. Go before God and just say, Okay, God, help me to better understand my, my, my wretchedness. And I'll tell you what, I better understand my wretchedness today than I did when I first came to Christ. And I'll know it better down the road. But it's a constant, okay, God, help me to understand that more so I can understand your love greater. Because I want to understand how deep your love for me is. So take me as far as I need to go to understand. And then, move by your Holy Spirit. Make me a greater sacrifice. You know, make it so that everything is yours. 
whatever needs to be done. And this is a dangerous question or dangerous prayer to ask because you might get wrecked. You might have to ask for forgiveness. And that's really hard. You might have to give forgiveness where you're like, I don't want to give forgiveness. That person is a horrible person. They're stinky and they're ugly and they're no good. And Christ goes, so are you before me. And I forgave you. So go forgive them. It's, it's hard. And if, you, if we follow through with this, Paul was wrecked to the point where he was, someone took stones and tried to throw stones at him and kill him. He thought he was dead. He was wrecked by being imprisoned. He was wrecked literally in a ship. <laughs> yeah, he was bent by, this guy got wrecked. And he says, I'm the least. So what's that mean for the rest of us? We got to get wrecked and be okay with that. So I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. Even in our sinfulness, you were, you were so good. And Father, I just, I mean, there is nothing that I could say that, would, that worships you in the way that you should do, yet you call us to worship you. And so Lord, I thank you. I thank you for all that you do. Jesus, I, I praise you because you were the sacrifice, the true and the perfect lamb given on my behalf, given on our behalf, of all those that trust in you, on their behalf. You died and the sin of the world was placed on you. The wrath of God for that sin was placed on you. And then you resurrected, proving that that was an acceptable sacrifice to God. The proving that when we put our trust in you, that you are true. And so, Lord, thank you. You are great and glorious. And I ask right now that you move by your Holy Spirit for, for us as your church. Lord, from, from your church in Ukraine to your church in China to your church in Africa to your church in South America to your church in the United States and in Europe and all over the western and southern hemispheres, all over this planet, Lord, that You would move by Your Holy Spirit to bring Your people closer to You so that the world would know that You are true, that that sacrifice, that resurrection is true. And so, Lord, just thank You because You are great, though we are not. And we praise You in the name of Jesus. Amen. And we're going to go into a time of communion. So if I could have the guys come on up for that.